today marks the beginning, as Andrew and Andrew already said, a fast forward. And so for the next 30 days as a church family, we're going to be just really going after God's heart in prayer. And we're going to invite everyone in our church to, to fast, to set aside some things and, and to fill that space that we would normally, you know, eat or watch TV or whatever it is, to fill that space with, with God. And so this is where we're going as a church family the next month. And so um, on Sundays, we're going to be journeying through the book of Nehemiah. And I love this story. I love this book. And, um, and, and our theme for this month is going to be Awaken Us. And so as we come here this morning, our, our prayer is that, that for those of us who are spiritually asleep, that God would wake us up. For those of us who are spiritually just in a daze, who, who we are alive in Christ, but we've just kind of lost touch with Christ, that God would wake us up. For those of us who are in this place where we're just, just kind of drifting through life, that God would wake us up. And that, that, that God would, as a church family, he would wake every one of us up so that we can see what God is doing all around us, so that we can join and be a part of, of him and his great work. It's interesting that God is even trying to teach me something on the front end. And so uh, on Thursdays, the day that we um, go over our, our teachings, we have a teaching team that come in, they kind of help us. We preach through it to make sure we're not think, saying things heretical and just that are going to be offensive. And so, um, so anyways, I, I'm talking through this. We had a great teaching team meeting, you know, having a great day Friday. Um, my wife goes to get on my computer on Friday and we discover that my computer has crashed with my sermon and all of my teaching team feedback. And so it was a real fun weekend, as you can imagine. And, uh, but seriously, I, I'm, you know, I, I, had, I did not have it saved on Dropbox, and I'm kicking myself for that. Um, so I don't, I don't have my sermon this morning. I don't have the, the product that I had on Thursday. And the reason I tell you that is because I just want you to know that, that I've come expectant of God to move. And, and I'm going to try to be careful in things that I say, but I need you guys to give me some grace. And I need you to come expectant and, and not uh, allow everything that you need to hear to come through me, but for it to come from God. And so to open your ears to things that God might, might have for you this morning. And so I'm, I'm excited. Are you guys ready to be here? You ready to jump in? Good. It, it's so fun seeing a lot of you guys who are new, a lot of you guys who have been here for a while. Um, Nehemiah, um, here we go. So Nehemiah is a Jew. He's living in the city of, of Susa when this book is written. And it's about a thousand miles from his hometown, the place that his ancestors were from, which is the city of Jerusalem. 140 years prior to this moment, um, this nation of Babylon comes into Jerusalem and they completely just annihilate the city of Jerusalem. I mean, destroy all their homes, um, destroy all their coffee shops, all their favorite restaurants, just absolutely wrecks their economy, um, destroys the, the border walls. I mean, literally, they are leave, like, left exposed. And, and to add insult to injury, they, they literally leave all the people out of Jerusalem into slavery. And so that's where our story picks up. Nehemiah is actually in slavery because of something that had happened to his family, his people 140 years prior to this. But just a few years prior to when Nehemiah was written, there was some hope for the people of God, for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, that some men and women had been sent back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding, to start restoring, to, to start uh, bringing to life the, the city that was dead. And so Nehemiah, all that he knows, things are going well. And our story picks up. And his brother shows up at his door one day. And Nehemiah looks at his brother and he's going, hey, how are things, you know, back home? It's like, Deb's like, your brother shows up. Hey, how are things in Michigan, right? Like, I don't know what's going on over there today today. Like, how are things going, you know, on God? Like, how are things back home in India, right? Like, we, we have these conversations all the time where we're not uh, aware of the day-to-day -day things that are going on with our families. And so his brother shows up. And listen to what he says in verse 3. He says, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, this is Nehemiah talking, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. He hears these words that the progress had been made. It had come to a stop. And it devastates him. He can't eat. He sits down. He's crying. He's praying. Some of you have been there. And the question I was asking is, is why? What would make someone sit for days and not eat and cry? What was going on in his life? Here's what's so interesting about Nehemiah. Now, though the people of God were enslaved, he kind of has a special situation. He's living this life of comfort. He's a cupbearer, which means that, that the, the king had a ton of trust in this guy. This is one of his right-hand men. So every time the, the king back in their day, this was their way of ensuring that they would live. They would have someone taste all of their wine before they drank it in case someone tried to poison it. And so the cupbearer is, is gonna get poisoned if someone wants to kill the king. But the king trusts this man. The king knows this man. There's friendship there. And so Nehemiah is living in the palace, drinking good wine. You can imagine that he's eating the king's leftover. His life is pretty good, especially compared to the rest of his contemporaries who are enslaved. Back in November, I got to go visit a couple of friends who are living down in Haiti, and they're taking care of seven Haitian children and being foster parents for them. And one of the cool things that they do is is that they bring in Haitian women to come in during the day and just to help with the kids. And this is a way to, to kind of help the, the, these women and have livable wages and, and also just get help. I mean, they have seven kids. Any of you guys have seven kids? You know that you need help. They're five and under. And so these women come in and, and they help during the day, do dishes and, and cook and clean. And it was so fascinating because they would come in and they would eat with, with the kids, you know, and these kids are, are eating good food. They're eating fruits and vegetables and, and healthy grains and they're eating meat. And, and the, the people that would come in to help would, would eat that same food. And the leftovers, they would get to take home to their kids. And I was just asking Ronnie and Steph, he's like, yeah, our, the people that come in and help us, they're, they're living way better lives than the majority of people around them. And you can just imagine here, Nehemiah is, he's living in the palace living this life of comfort, living this life of luxury. He has no idea what's really going on with his people. And his brother shows up one day and he says, it's worse than you thought. And it absolutely devastates him. And the question I want us to wrestle with is why? What was he devastated about? His life was fine. His life was good. <laughs> A thousand miles away, this did not affect him at all. And here's what hit me. He realized that he didn't have God. And he looked at his life and he realized that he'd been unfaithful to the God who'd been so faithful to him, to his family. And he looked at his people, the nation of Israel, and he realized that, that they didn't know God. You go, how do you know all that? Well, let me help you get there. So in Nehemiah's mind, there was a direct correlation between the, the predicament of the city of Jerusalem and their sin. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, we talked about this a few weeks ago. God had said that this would happen. If you are faithful to me, you're gonna have all these blessings. If you turn from me, other nations are gonna come and they're gonna enslave you. They're gonna take everything that you own. And so Nehemiah knows God. He knows that God is a truth teller. 
He knows that the God that you and I serve is all powerful. And he looks at the city of Jerusalem and he goes, man, God told us that if we would be faithful, he would restore the city. The city is not restored. And Nehemiah goes, this is not a God problem. This is an us problem. If the city isn't restored, it's not God's fault. It's not because he's not capable. It's not because he's not paying attention. It's because he has told us that we have some work to do in our own lives. What was it about this moment that moved him so deeply? I'm hoping that that this is what God is going to do in us today and the rest of this week. That he will bring conviction. And not a conviction that leads to condemnation, but a conviction that would lead to, to life change. My hope is that some of us come in here this morning and, and, and this is a moment where you go, man, I, you get real honest with yourself, I don't know God. And some of you, that, that this would be the moment that you come in here and you go, man, the, the people beside me, I'm spending all of my energy trying to convince them that I know God. And the reality is that I don't know God. And when I lay down at night, I realize that I haven't been faithful to God. And my hope is that God does this to us. In his grace, that he would spare us from just lifting through this, drifting through this life, pretending. My hope is that, is that God would wake us up. My hope is that God would, would wake those of us up who are Christians to the culture around us. It's so fascinating. You know, on the, the back of our currency, you guys have not ever seen this. This is a dollar bill because you just use cards all the time. Or this is, this is cash. You know what it says on the back of our currency? It doesn't say this on the back of your debit card, your credit card. You know what it says? It says, in God we trust. And I go, are you kidding me? That's laughable. Our country does not trust God. We worship the God on the front of that dollar. And my hope is that God would wake us up and we'd realize that people all around us don't know God and that we are not a country that loves and lives for the Lord. And I want you to notice what Nehemiah does. He fasts, he prays, he mourns. And then he prays. He prays. He prays. And I want us to notice what he prays into. Invite you to write these things down. The first thing that he prays, the contents of his prayer, we see see honesty and humility. He comes comes to God honestly in in, in humility. In verse 5, says the Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, people of Israel. Listen to this. I confess that we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, that we have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Do you hear what he does there? He doesn't come to God and say, hey, the problem is out there, God. No, he says, God, the problem is in here. He 
said, I've sinned against you, God. I love that he owns up to it. You find great freedom when you can come to God and, and, you, and, you, and you realize that you don't have to pretend, you don't have to hide. And it takes a real man, it takes a real woman to come into the presence of God and say, God, this is what I've done. To own up to it, to not point the blame on someone else, but to go, God, the problem is in here. And I love what we see from Nehemiah as he takes ownership of his sin. But it's not that he, he just comes honestly, he comes humbly. And I love this. He, he, he makes this appeal and he might not have caught this, but I did this week because I read it so many times. He said, Lord, would you, would you give me your ear? And what he's saying there is, God, I know I don't deserve an audience with you. That the life that I've lived, it shuns you. It keeps you away from me. I know that my righteous deeds or lack thereof does not warrant you listening to me. God, but would you give me your ear? Think about my freshman year in high school and uh, I, was playing, I was playing football, playing basketball and, and got done with the football season and basketball season follows that. And my football coach said, hey, if you'll, if you'll set out this year in basketball, if you'll, if you'll get stronger, clearly that didn't work. And if you'll learn the offense, then, then you can play next year. And so I decided, hey, I'm, I'm gonna give up basketball. And so I went in a basketball coach's office and I sat down with him and, and I still remember this to this day. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm not gonna play ball this year. And he was upset, not because I was such a great basketball player because he was trying to build up the program and so he's just trying to talk me into to staying and playing and I'm like no I made up my mind I'm done and so so I, I don't play the basketball season goes next summer rolls around and I realize how much I'd missed playing basketball so I remember walking into his office again this is like six months later knocking on his door and him sitting at his desk and I'm going hey coach coach Birdsong for credibility purposes hey I know I don't deserve an audience with you I know that you have much better things to do and I know I don't deserve to even be standing in your office asking this, but, but can I get back on the team? And there's something about this posture that, that God responds to positively in Nehemiah because this is who God is, that when we come into his presence honestly and humbly, he responds. God responds in a, in a positive way when we say, God, this is how I failed we don't try to hide it from him. I love 1 John chapter 1 where it says this, confess your sins for God is faithful and he will forgive you. I love what we learned from Nehemiah that he comes in the presence of God honestly and humbly. But the second thing that he does is he comes in the presence of God bearing and believing God's promises. He comes into God's presence bearing and believing God's promises. See this in verse eight, nine, he says this in his prayer. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, even if, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. And I want you to see this, that, that he simply just repeats back to God what God had already said to his ancestors. He comes and, and he doesn't come just uttering things that, that he wants to pray. No, he comes holding on to the promises of God. Cling to the things that God had told his family, told himself. That he comes bearing the promises of God. He comes believing the promises of God.
It's no different for us. That we come here this morning, and I don't know where all of you are in your journey. But I know so many of us, we come here and we go, man, we're, 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 we're just not living the way we want to live. And Brandon, I'm cool with you with saying it's, it's uh, honestly and humbly. Yeah, I'm down with that. But how do I come into the presence of God bearing and believing his promises? How do I do that? You don't know how sinful I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I've been. We learn as men and women to come in the presence of God, bearing his promises, believing his promises. You're going, what promises are you talking about? Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20. Someone turn there, stand up and read that for us, please. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20. Stand up and, and read as loud as you can, please. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. Read it loud, Daniel. For no matter how many prophecies God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Someone, someone else stand up and read that. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. That's not 2 Corinthians 1, Dale. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. Dale's got a different Bible. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. I think you were in 1 Corinthians. Love it. You're, you did read it loud. Someone else, stand up and read. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, not 1 Corinthians. Come on. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. You see, this is, this is, this is it. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, Christina. Thank you, Dale. That, that Jesus is our, is our promise. That, that Jesus is it, that we come in the presence of God and, we, and what are we clinging to? Our own righteousness, our own goodness, our own track record? No, we come in the presence of God and what are we holding on to? Jesus. That that is all we have to come in the presence of God with. That God looks at us and he says, you, you can't do enough. You haven't done enough. You never can. And so what I'm doing is sending my son to do enough for you to cover all of your sin. And so we learn as a people of God to come in the presence of God bearing Jesus. John chapter five, verse 24. Someone stand up and read that, please. John chapter five, verse 24. And someone else, John chapter one, verse 12. John five, verse 24. John one, verse 12. John five, 24. John one, 12. Yes. Read it loud. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Yes, Jesus says, if, if you believe in me, if you believe in the one who sent me, you have eternal life now. 
You will not be judged one day in heaven. You'll cross over right now from, from death to life for the person who simply believes that I am everything that God was pointing to, that I am the answer to everything you're looking for. Someone read John chapter one, verse 12. John chapter one, verse 12. Read it loud. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Did you hear that? For anyone who believes in him, he makes us children. He makes us sons and daughters of the most high God. And we learn to come to God this way. I don't know what your dad was like. He might've been a terrible man. I don't know what your mom was like. She might've been a terrible woman, but, but there are people in this room and, and some of you had amazing dads and amazing moms. And, and this is the kind of God that we have. He says, I want you to come to me. And you can trust me that you are my children. I want you to believe in Jesus. Believe that you come into my presence, not as someone stained with sin, but someone who is filled with forgiveness. My son Jones, he's three years old. For Christmas, we told him that we're getting them a, a tree house, which means that I'm gonna have to build it, which he's in trouble. And, uh, and I love it because Jones, um, ever since December 25th, not every day, but a lot of days, he'll wake up, Dad, are we building a tree house today? <laughs> a couple weekends ago, remember when it was like three degrees outside? He's like, today, Dad? I'm like, no, the ground is frozen. Not today. But he has learned that, that he can trust me, that when I tell him something, my word is good, that I will follow through on it. And so he is just coming to me, bearing and believing in the promises that I've made to him. And so God comes to us and he says, Ben, I've told you that you're my beloved son. Now believe it when you come in my presence. I know you've sinned. I know you failed, but you're my son. And Kaylee and Jonathan, you're my son and you're my daughter. And I know you've messed up and I know you're not pleased with where you are, but you're my children and believe in Jesus. And he looks at all of us. Do you understand that this is a God that we serve? We come into his presence when we've sinned, we've been far from him, when, when we've been spiritually dead, we've been spiritually sleeping. And he says, come and own up to who you've been humbly and honestly. Come into my presence, believing and bearing my promises. And the third thing that we learn from Nehemiah in his prayers that he presents himself as God's servant who is open to God's stirring. He presents himself as God's servant who is open to God's stirring. And this is what the gospel always does. Presents himself as God's servant open to God's stirring. This is verse 11. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant into the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. When God wakes us up, when he wakes us up out of apathy, when he wakes us up out of coasting through this life, when God wakes us up, when God moves in us, when God breaks us, we are never content to stay in the palace and cry. that it's not enough to, to mourn the condition. No, when, when God moves you, you open your life to the Lord. And when the gospel's really gripped our lives, we understand that we are sons and we are daughters, but we're also there to serve the most high God. 
go, God, you don't, you don't serve us. You're not here to serve us. We're here to serve you. And we get that backwards in our culture, in our Christian culture. We get that backwards so often in our relationship. We start thinking that God is here to serve us, to meet our needs, to give us all that we want. And it's true that God does delight in meeting our needs. But we are the clay and he is the potter. We are the servants. In a heart that is wrecked by the, the grace and the gospel of Jesus is a heart that walks in gratitude. I saw this in my friend and coworker Sam this week. I saw this in Andrew this week. Got a lot going on the work this week, just kind of with work, things that um, needed some help with. And so I said, hey, I know that, just reached out to the whole team. Hey, I got some things that I just need some help with. If you have some time in your schedule, would you, would you help? And, and Sam and Andrew are like, yeah, I can help. And, and Sam just kept coming. He's like, man, is, it, is there anything else I can do? Is there anything else I can do? And there's something about that spirit. I'm going, man, his, his spirit of, of gratitude. Now he's new on our team, so it's gonna wear off, I'm sure. But, <laughs> but this, this spirit of, of gratitude where, where he's going, man, I, I wanna help. And I'm going, that, that there's something that happens with God where as his kids, we become just my sister's word, we become brats. We become entitled and we forget how much God has done to save us. We forget how much our sin cost God the Father, how much our sin cost Jesus the Son. And so I'm praying and I'm hoping that God would move in us today. And there wouldn't be three of us and there wouldn't be five of us, but that all of us would raise our hand and we'd go, God, we are your servants. And Nehemiah's got something stirring and we're gonna get here next week. But you can already tell he's asking, God, give me success. And you're like, hey, what's he praying success for? Come back next week and don't read chapter two. <laughs> this morning in my office, in our office, I was on our wall, there's pictures of baptisms throughout the year. People have gotten baptized at Ethos. I saw Allison, I saw your picture this morning. If you know anything about baptism, it's just this moment where a woman or a man goes down into the water and it's just this identification with Jesus. I believe, Jesus, that you, you've taken away all my sin and so this is literally a death to the person I was and I believe that because you rose from the dead, You've given me new life and new hope that, that the person I was, the things that, that I did, you've buried those things and I have new life and new hope. And I was looking at this, I was looking at all these pictures of these people sitting down in this water and the people baptizing them and I just go, man, we need God to do that. Not to take a bath, but to wake us up. Some of you maybe come here this morning and you go, I don't wanna wake up. If I wake up, it means that this part of my life has to change. My sisters, my brothers, God is real. And you will stand in front of him one day and I will stand in front of him one day. And I don't tell you that to scare you. I tell you that because I want you to, to think about how serious this life is that we've been given. In this life, nothing will delight your soul and nothing else can but God alone.
the things that we so easily get caught up in chasing. A salary. Some girl, some boy, some degree. Sex, pleasure, comfort. God says, wake up. Wake up and come home. Some of you come here this morning and go, I don't want to wake up. Wake up. God must high, wake us up. Some here this morning, you come and you go, man, I, I'm afraid of what, I'm afraid that, that you won't wake me up, God. Finley, the other day, my oldest daughter, she told Courtney, uh, this is two nights ago, Courtney's my wife, she said, hey, mom, as soon as you get up in the morning, wake me up. And we're like, not a chance that's happening. No way. Like, we will never wake you up from your sleep. Like, God's such a better parent than we are, Right? He wants to wake us up. Ephesians chapter five, verse 14, this is what he says. He says, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. You are made. I am made to be awake in the Lord. God has made us to be his people and to be people that go after all the other people who don't know our God. You're made. You're made for this. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give us a few minutes. And I want you to take some time just by yourself for a few minutes and answer these questions. You put those two questions up on the, the screen. I want you to, to think about these two questions. What is your spiritual condition? So you come here this morning. I couldn't think of a better word. I need someone smarter than me to help me think through a better, better word. But do you come in here this morning? Are you asleep? Are you, are you just kind of drowsy? Are you a Christian, but you're just kind of drifting through life? Are you, uh, man, are, are, are you in a daze? Are you fully awake? What's your spiritual condition? The second question I want you to think about is where do you need God to meet you today? And so for some of you, man, you need God just to meet you in your honesty, that you need just to come to God and say, God, I've been unfaithful. In this area of my life, I've been walking, I've been trying to keep it secret and God, I wanna give it to you. And so where do you need God to meet you? Some of you need to meet him in, in your sin. Some of you need to meet God. You need God to meet you for the, for the very first time. You don't know God at all. You don't have a relationship with God. And you're going, man, I've come here this morning. This is my last option. I've tried everything else. Is there a God? Can he love me? And some of you, you need God to just meet you for the first time. Some of you need God to meet you in this, this believing and beholding his promises. Some of you right now, life is so unbelievably hard because of things that no one else in this room knows about and it's just bearing on you and, and wearing on you and tearing you down. And what you need is God just to come and meet you, to comfort you, encourage you. For some of you, you go, man, uh, I just need God to wake me up because I don't care about people who don't know Jesus. I don't care about people in our country. I don't care that we're a godless country. I go, where do you need God to meet you? And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a few minutes. We're gonna think about these. And then I wanna invite you with the people around you to not just share, but to pray for each other. Because I believe that when we come to the presence of God, the same God who encountered Nehemiah will encounter us. And I don't know what you came looking for this morning, but if you put yourself out there, if you put yourself in God's hands, I promise it'll work out for the good. So here's what we're gonna do. James and Chris are gonna play just some music. Let's take a, just three minutes. 
to answer these questions, and then I'll come back up. I'll transition us into a time of praying together, and then after that, I'll send us to communion. Does that sound all right? Okay, let's do that now. Uh, I'll pray for us to kick us off. God, would you allow this time to just be so rich and meaningful? Yeah, Lord, let us be honest. Would you help us to be honest? Come and meet us. Amen.